I'm going to call the law of the right of first refusal. Let's say it together. The law of the right of first refusal. Now, that's a strange title. That's a strange whatever. We don't even know what the, 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 that means, as it were. Uh, but let me break it down to you. The law of the right of first refusal is the law of opportunity given and acquired. The law of opportunity presented, revealed, and acquired. Do y'all believe that there's opportunities in our lives every day that we don't see and we don't seize? That there's more than what we're actually walking in and walking out. Oh, yes. There's more. That we're not, we're not tapping out the best God's got. We're just tapping out what we want from the Lord. We'd always want more, but there's always a price more. Uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you would. I believe you're going to get your life changed this morning. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, we've looked at this scripture and then uh, Melissa referenced it Wednesday night. The law of the right of first refusal or the law of opportunity presented or given and acquired or received. Uh, the opportunity is not like it's God's will for you to walk in that only, but the opportunity that God's placed on you and me is for us to see. The opportunity is to see how many of you thought like we have of ideas that people have come up with and put into motion and they're gazillionaires and they're so simple. It's just like that wasn't complicated. That wasn't hard. That wasn't software engineer. That wasn't uh, some sort of technical thing. That was just the first one. And it's just amazing how many simple ideas out there are making people Lots and much. Uh, well, it was just an opportunity that someone looked into that realm and saw it. And then not just saw it, but seized it. Because so many times we see things and we go, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. And then you just go on because you got something to do. You got to pick up the dog or whatever. So, yeah, there I am. Praise God. So the first thing about seeing an opportunity in that realm is to first know that there is a realm, to believe there is a door into another realm. You'll not look for it unless you see it or expect it. In other words, you go to the front door of a house, but you'd never go to the back door because you don't even know if there'd be a back door. But when you drive up, you see the front door and you go, I'm going to go in the door that I sees, that I see. So there's a lot more to life, and I believe the kingdom of God is absolutely predicated on us having revelation and insight and discretion and wisdom to see into a realm that others don't see or to see it first. That's one reason we pray in the Holy Ghost is because we pray out the mysteries. Corinthians talks about we pray out the mysteries. What are mysteries? Well, they're hidden opportunities. Things that are not hidden from us, but hidden for us. And so that not everybody can see them just by their own eyesight. He hides them in the spirit realm. And when we pray out or say out in the Holy Ghost, we then get vision into a realm that's not seen in the natural. We see things as they really are. The unseen realm, as you and I believe, is more real than the seen realm. Kimberly talked about that this morning. Uh, 
you got to see it and speak it before you can see it. You see it. The unseen realm, you see it. You get over into that realm. Well, that's the realm of opportunity. And so you, we have to expect, because of who we are in the Lord Jesus, we, we know this, this principle. When you know who you are, then and only then do you have a past to know what you can do and to know what you have. So that someone can say, well, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and that gives you access to pray prayers and have things. But if you don't know who you are, you'll just be an old sinner saved by grace by the end of the day. Because everybody's putting everything like that on you all the time, and your, our head helps us. So we have to know who we are. We have to know that he always, he always causes me to triumph. So when I know that, that greater is he that is in me all the time, full time, then I'm, I'm bold towards the devil, bold towards heaven, bold towards men. And I have no fear. I just take what's mine. It's mine. So uh, another key to that is to know, to, to, to walk into your opportunity is, first of all, you got, got to know that you should. So there's a line of thinking, a religious thinking that talks about uh, if God wants something to happen, he'll make it happen. In other words, God's in control and things happen because he wants them to happen. And if it didn't happen, he didn't want it to happen. But that's a lie. That's a tremendous lie. And it has hamstrung. It has hobbled almost all of Christianity to believe that and just take our hand off the wheel that says, why am I driving? God's in control. If God wants it to happen, he will cause it. Well, that makes him a child abuser at the best, and a reckless, reckless master over the world with all that's happening and all the people that are making it happen. If God's in control of that, let's just take our chances on our own. I mean, I, I can steer that good, I think, but that's not the way it is at all. So you have to know that you should have opportunities. In other words, I have to be looking for an opportunity before I find out how to find an opportunity. I got to know there's one to find. I got to go find the door and then know that I'm supposed to open the door. But if you don't know that, then you'll just walk by the house and never open the door. And, and the supernatural life that God's got for us, it'll be lost. It'll be as if it doesn't exist. And then if you think you're a worm or an old sinner or whatever, then you don't ever feel qualified. Why would God do something special for me? I'm not special. I, I'm just like everybody else. And it's just not true. We're children of God. Amen. We're children of God, sons and daughters. He's not thinking about anything more than you and me. He's not, he's not distracted or challenged or, or working on something else. Well, he's working on China or he's working on Russia. No, he's not. He's working on you and me. He goes where somebody knows who they are so that he can give them and, and uh, prepare them for things based on who they are. So he's... The angels are on hold. They're saying, if you'll give me something to do, I will get this done. But we got we to gotta assign them. So uh, we need to know that we win. I need to know that I always win. And that if I'm not in a winning position, there's adjustment being necessary. What, what does it say in Galatians 6? That uh, uh, don't be weary in well-doing. For you'll reap if you do not faint. Well, there's a lot of fainting going on. And I've done it. I assume you've done it before. 
that we knew some things, but we didn't know some things. We just knew what other people, other people knew. So we went on the same track. We listened to their testimony and said, well, this is what they did. This is what I'll do. But it may have been longer or different for you, and you can't quit just because it didn't happen like it did to somebody else. you got to stay in there. Don't be weary in well-doing. Well, that just tells you right there that that's coming. The, 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 the static or the uh, ambivalence of the world is going to be, this may take longer than you think. A lot of times it's not heaven that says, I've got this on hold, but I'm waiting. A lot of times, like Abraham, it's us. It's been assigned to us. It's been assigned for us to, to have and to do and to go. But for some doctrinal reason or some lethargic or uh, reticent reason, we just like, I'm not ready for that right now. And we stall it. We hinder it. So you can be 60 years old and not have something you were supposed to have when you were 30. And it just hinders the whole, it clogs up the whole system. We know this scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, it's in verse 19. Let's read it in the King James. Just read whatever you got and it'll be close. Ready, read. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Well, that's not God in control. He's saying there's, there's cursing out there. There's death out there. And uh, it's not automatic. A lot of people don't have good lives. A lot of people are born again that just say, I'm going to heaven, that's good enough. They want the best of this world and just enough to get into heaven. They don't think that this world is, uh, that what God's got in this world can beat the fun and the experiences they have. When I got to be a Christian, my, my life really began then. And when I got spirit-filled at 27, I, I've never had a better life, and I don't know anybody that's had a better life than me since that happened. The world has nothing to challenge what the Lord's got offered for us. It has nothing. It's, it's dry, dusty bones out there. So uh, it's up to me. We looked at a scripture last Sunday about Paul saying, I'm choosing whether to go, which I'm qualified. I've run my race, finished my course. He said, I'm not leaving early. I'm not bowing out. I'm not tuck, uh, duck, ducking out. He said, but I'm going to stay. So he made a choice. There was a choice there that the Lord obviously let him make. Have you ever heard anybody testify that the Lord said, it's up to you? Uh, I'll let you do it this way or you can do it that way. It's going to be harder this way for you. It's going to be pressing in. Like going to Macedonia, uh, we see in the New Testament. He said, I, I know there's bonds waiting for me in Macedonia. Is it Macedonia? Well, it's somewhere over there anyway. He, he said, I'm here and the Lord, and it's going to be the Lord shows me. Agabus came and said, the Lord shows me the man that wears this girdle is going to have trouble. And so, uh, so it's not always naturally easy. But if we're pressing in with our body, then our faith can pick it up and take it on. So choosing, it's not like it's between red candy and blue candy. A lot of times it's a, it's a choice. How much do you want to do? How much do you, how far do you want to go? We think God's just got one absolute, but he'll, he'll let you land wherever you want to. He'll let you go as fast as you want to. If you don't want to pray, he's, you're, you're, you're his favorite son. You're the best daughter, but you won't get much done without praying. I don't have to be a Christian. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Boy, that's true. It is true. 
But you won't be much punk. You're going to be weak. You're going to be insecure. You're going to be fearful. You're going to be lame in relationships. You won't know how to, but you will go to heaven. But it's up to you. And uh, we don't talk about it much, but there are rewards in heaven that are considerable. The Lord makes it well worth our while to follow him. It pays. We, we, we talk about sometimes just, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's just half of it. The good half, the best half, don't, you can't have the second half without the first one. But we should go, turn with me to 1 Samuel. If you can find Samuel, find one of them, find Kings, find Chronicles, and you'll fish around in there and you'll find 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're talking about the law of the right or first refusal. I don't know anybody that's ever taught this, uh, but it sure is fun. It's just putting the kingdom in another way. You know, it's, it, this isn't anything you've never heard or never done. It just reinforces what we already have. It just makes you know how, how intricate God is and how detailed he is and how he doesn't ever miss anything. He never misses anything. Can you imagine how, how many nerves are in our body that we can feel temperature in our feet? We can, we can feel texture in our hands, pressure, that our eyes are so intricately made. It's, uh, they adjust to light and to dark so you can see in both equally without being blinded. And you can turn them together and just... Just on and on and on. And how our brain causes you, even if you are in a coma, your brain maintains your heart and your lungs and your, your endocrine glands and all of that thing. I mean, just it goes on and on and on about how wonderfully we are made. And, and so that came from the Lord. That didn't come from cosmic dust or swamp gas or something like that. That came from the Lord. He... he he made us that way. Well, if he did that, how much more will he give us something to do with all those things? Hallelujah. So it says in 1 Samuel, I want to read this story about, it's quite long, but about the law of the right of first refusal. And I want you to know this morning, if you just get one thing I'm going to say, is that you have, you have rights. You, you're, you're first. And there's no competition. Say that with me. No competition. In the world, there's just so much to go around, and so everybody has to dog eat dog. Uh, uh, early bird gets the worm. If you can, sit on the can. Uh, can all you get. Can't sit on the can. Whatever that is, you know, you know, it's the world system of uh, co competition and comparison. You you size up your competitor, and you develop a strategy to beat them out to get ahead of them. So you can have more. Well, that's that's the world, and that's and we all were raised from birth at that. And do good on your grades. Do read this and learn how to do that, because it'll put you ahead someday. Did you hear me? It'll put you ahead someday. It's an investment in your future. It'll put you ahead someday. You'll get the best. You'll get the best girl, the 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 best husband, the best job. You'll you'll it'll. What you do determines what you will do. And there's, that's not wrong, but that's not right either. The Lord has called you out for his purposes. And 
If we would just give a tenth of our college time and our trade school time in our to finding out the will of God for our life, if high school seniors knew what they were supposed to do with their life on graduation day, how many of y'all know we wouldn't be changing six majors in five semesters like I did? We, we would know from the beginning and we would not lose our most youthful and energetic and, and, uh, and powerful years right there at the beginning, setting our course and getting on with it. But they don't have a clue. I mean, I don't I have never talked to anyone that hardly that went to school that didn't. I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that. I was a nursing student one semester and I was a I was a pre-med student. and I was an accounting student and I was a. An industrial arts student. Uh, I I could go on, but it just embarrassed me and you. So uh, didn't have a clue. And I was raised in a Christian, somewhat Christian home, but nobody knew you were supposed to ask. So my future was just up to me. And I needed to get a good ACT and a good SAT in order to be at the head of this and qualify for that. And yet none of it made any difference whatsoever. It was all for naught. And I'm not saying, I am not saying an education is all for naught. I am not. Once you know what you're supposed to do, you better go get qualified to do it. I'm just saying there's a lot of lost souls in high school and college. Would you all agree with me? A lot of lost souls. And that's why they do what they do is because they don't know what else to do. Hallelujah. Well, all of that. First Samuel chapter 4. Let's look in verse 3. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of... Make sure I'm in the right chapter here. That's not right. Okay, let me just, just a second make sure that I'm... Let me see if it's in 2 Samuel. It'd be my keyboard's fault if it is. What have I got written down for you, Barry? Okay. Every once in a while I do this and I don't, I, I don't much care for it. No, it's not 2 Samuel. Oh, that's it. That's it. I just didn't go far. I, I started earlier than I wanted to. Okay. Uh, let me tell you all a story. Where is Somebody look it up. Where's Goliath? What book is Goliath in? Well, yeah, I know. It's, oh, it's 17, isn't it? It's 17. Oh, there it is. Boy, that's a jump. 1 Samuel 17. Well, here we go. We'll edit that out or not. Uh, let's go to verse 3. And the Philistines, I got it, stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had an NBA career, didn't he? And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass on his shoulders, between his shoulders. And the staff of his stuff was, uh, it was big. In verse 8, he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel. And here's the deal he made them. Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Verse 8, choose you a man for me and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me. And to kill me, then will we be your servants? Could y'all say, yeah, right. <laughs> but if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall be, ye shall be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, say it with me, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Divine order has a law, and one of the laws of divine order is the law of the right of first refusal. And the law of the right of first refusal is a non-competitive clause or a non-competitive uh, law, which means, which means it's yours to lose. So say with me, it's mine to lose. Whatever God has given you, it's yours to lose. You don't have to compete for it. You don't have to compare. You don't have to get an advantage. You don't have to strategize. You don't have to draw up a blueprint. What he has given you and me is ours to lose. It's safe. It's assigned. Heaven is backing it. And you, don't, you, can, you can think this and, and belittle yourself that, but it's in there. And so, for instance, uh, a general would be responsible for taking care of Goliath. So he might tell his uh, captain, you go take care of it. And his captain might turn and say, Sergeant, you go take care of it, who then would turn to a whatever and whatever and whatever, and finally it'd get done. So we know this is right concerning uh, uh, our lives. If a wife, the law of divine order, if a wife gets in faith about something, a car or a dress or whatever, whatever wives get in faith about. God answers that prayer. She, he, she, she's good. But how he answers is important. You don't have to wonder how he's going to do it. He's going to move on the husband because that's the law of divine order. He's going to move on him and say, I'm giving you the right of first refusal. I want you to... Get in faith with your wife, and I want you to facilitate this for her. Well, now, if he does, if he says, no way, Jose, I'm not doing that. She, she's this, and I don't like that. Does the Lord throw her under the bus? He just goes to the next realm of divine order, the concentric rings that go out. And he finally finds somebody that will meet her need. It may take a little longer. I don't know exactly how that works. But he always goes to the husband first. That's the truth. A church, River Church, we are funded. We are funded. We're in faith about being funded. Well, how does the Lord facilitate that? First of all, he goes to the members of the church. So if they won't, and it's still the will of God for that church to stand and go, he has ways of getting funding to that church. And if the church can't do it all, they've got a bigger vision and they've got whatever, he can add to it, which he's done here many times, because sometimes you get a big, bigger vision than you got people for a little while. Uh, a pastor or a missionary, uh, when he's called, when that assignment comes and he's aware of it, uh, it's offered to him. I want you to pastor this church or I want you to go to to Thailand or Africa or whatever, and I'm offering it to you. And you have the right 
of first refusal. He told me to come to Alabama, and I had the right of first refusal. It wasn't going to upset the kingdom. It wasn't going to wipe that out. It wasn't going to do anything. But I'm promising you the Lord would move on to the next in the divine order, and he'd have got somebody to go to Africa or Thailand or Alabama. But where, the, where would that have left me in that particular scenario? Plan B. His best had been offered to me, but then it was plan B. So a believer in the church, you and I are sitting here. What about what we have to do? We all have gifts. We all have graces. We all have uh, uh, charis in us, graces. And so the Lord comes to you and offers and says, I want you to do this. Now, listen to me real careful. He comes to us and gives us the right of first refusal. He has that right because he gave us his name. So we're dependent on him. We're Christians. We take it on the name of Christ. So we're Christians. So he has the right of possession. The right of possession means that he can tell us what he wants based on him possessing us. I'm bought with a price and not my own. So if he says, I want you to lead the music ministry, for instance, and you go, Lord, this, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to help. This is I don't want to and I'm busy and da, 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 da. The standard list of excuses and whatever. It doesn't get heaven wonked up. It doesn't get them all in a tiff. He just moves on to the next one. But he has to give you and I, whoever's called, whoever has that unction, whoever has that draw, he gives us the right of first refusal. But then he moves on. And I said this last week, I don't know that I was the first one that he said, I want you to go to Alabama. But well, whatever, to me, I had the right of first refusal, even though if there was 23 men or women before me that turned it down, to me, it was as if it was the first one. He gave me that right, and I could turn it down like the other ones. And so he moves on. But it's mine, it's yours, until we refuse it. So he's doing that. And that's that door that opens. We expect or we look at the door saying, you're a door. And I have what's behind you. It's mine. I'm going to go and open the door. Or the door's open. I'm going to go in and see what's in the door. And so we do that. So every one of us have done this. This is a little complicated, but you'll get it before I get it mashed out. He gives us a door first, and we have the right of first refusal to either receive it and say, I'm your man, boy. God, I'm your boy. I, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. And then it's over. It doesn't go any further. Or I can reject it and say, nah, I'm busy, and that's going to be a lot of work, and I don't want to do that. And, and all the things that we do, because he rarely, if ever, comes through a door and stands over us, and he's glowing, and the halo's on him, and he's hovering, and he says, I'm Jesus, and I want you to lead the music. Well, we're all about this. There's no faith involved in that, but it's also not the way it works. That's still a small voice down here. We can reject it. We can say, oh, that's just me, or how would that work? Here's what we mostly do is we say, how would that work? How could that happen? And so we do what's not our job, is, which is to figure out how to do it, instead of our job is to say, I will do it. Is that right? So how's he going to make you exceeding abundantly above 
funding than you can even ask or imagine. Don't go there because you can't imagine it. He, that's his realm. So in the kingdom, you know, uh, Coach Saban talked this week about uh, he, his, his starters, his starter guys in the championship game uh, got hurt. And so you go to your depth chart and you go to old number two. Well, I come to find old number two had thought, I'll never get to play. This is what he's saying. I'll never get to play. And I don't get to play. Why should I work hard? Why should I practice? Why should I learn the plays when it's obvious that Leroy is going to get to do all the doing? So they didn't. Well, they got hurt in the championship game. And so they, they, they got called up. But they didn't know their skills. They didn't have, it was a wreck. Now, I'm just quoting Coach Saban. But I'm here to tell you that in the kingdom of God, the Lord's death chart is millions deep. He's never going to do with that. You're never going to pray a prayer in faith that the Lord said, could you get back to me on that? I, I, I got somebody I'm working on to get that done, but it hadn't happened yet. He's millions deep. So if you refuse, if I refuse, if I say no to the Lord, he's got somebody. For me, it's none or all, but for the Lord, it's, it's either you or a million others. I can get this done. How many of y'all know the Lord can get it done? He can get somebody's in faith that said, somebody's in faith saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. He said, well, you're you're not the husband for this wife that's praying that. I can't pick you until he refuses to be involved. Isn't this glorious? I mean, it's just like you never know what the Lord's going to do. Sure you do. You can write, go down right th through this and you can say, I know exactly how he's going to do it. And that's how he does it. So uh, let me just tell you, it is a divine privilege to be offered a position or an assignment in the kingdom of God. It is a privilege. It is an honor. It is why we are created and living on the earth is to do the master's bidding. Every horn and violin and, and, and drum beater in an orchestra is looking at the director. And when he whips that little stick over here and like that, those boys over there, they perk up and start blowing and, and winding and all that sort of stuff. He's the, so the Lord's orchestrating all this, and he knows how to do it. It's a privilege to serve him. Amen. But if some bass drum guy bucks up and says, I, I, don't, I like to come in where the snares come in, or I want to do what the horns do, and tries to blow it up, he just gets one shot at it. He will be gone forever. Yeah. And so you may not get asked again. Every assignment we take has a system of promotion. Matthew 25 says, if you're faithful over a few things, I will make you master over much. So you're, you're, in, the, you're in the third string orchestra, but if you do your job, you can get in the second string, in the first string, that sort of thing. So it's a divine privilege. But it's hard, and I'm busy, and i got important things. No, you don't. This is the thing that makes everything else work. Nothing works without it. You can go off and say, I don't need that. I, I can be a doctor without going to school. But you're going to be lonely in your office 
Amen. I can be an accountant. I don't need classes. I don't need anything. But you won't have any clients. Is that right? So uh, in this scenario here, we're just into verse 11, I think. Uh, the, uh, it says they heard, they heard and were greatly afraid. What does that mean? Well, they didn't know it was a door of opportunity. They didn't know this thing was their chance or their privilege to say yes to. They thought it was arbitrary. They thought it was happenstance. They thought it was coincidental. They didn't, they didn't mark it into the law of the right of first refusal. So Saul said, no, I'm not going out there. Isn't it his armor that he tried to put on David? So he, he had some army clothes, but he said, I'm not going out there. And so he turned to everybody that all heard Goliath say, send me a man. And they went down the ranks. There was general number one and general number two. And they went down the ranks, captain, corp, whatever those officers are, lieutenant. And they went down the ranks and nobody said yes. They all passed on the right of first refusal. So it went from the king to the general to the captain to the corporal to the sergeant. or the, And it finally got to the warrior section. There's a bunch of warriors out there. They weren't all generals. And none of the warriors said yes. They all passed on this. And so in divine order, the right of first refusal, it finally went to the shepherd boy. How many of y'all know we've been through everybody before we got there? Everybody has said, not me. I'm not going out there and get my head knocked off. But the shepherd boy said, I will go. Uh, let, let's look in verse 12. Boy, aren't you glad we found the right chapter? Amen. It just makes things easier. Uh, verse 12. David was the son of, many, of Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went up and followed Saul to the battle. So the three eldest sons were in that right of first refusal, weren't they? In other words, they got a chance before David did. Wouldn't that be divine order? And uh, it says, here's their names. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Now take for thy brethren corn and loaves and stuff, and carry these cheeses. Everybody needs their cheese. And, uh, and to the captain of their thousands, and see how they are doing. In verse 19, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went as Jesse commanded him, his father, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. Wow. It's all just happening. It's all just progressing behind the scenes. Nobody in Saul and his generals and his captains didn't know that there was a shepherd over here. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. Even Jesse's daddy didn't know it and didn't like it. And as you find out, the three brothers were plenty ticked that this upstart out of divine order had come in and volunteered to say, I'll do it. Verse 23, and he talked with them. Behold, as he talked to them, up came the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. So here's his right or first refusal. 
the first time he heard it. He didn't hear it when all the other boys heard it. So he couldn't have said yes, but for 40 days it had been going on, and then he showed up. How many of y'all know it's good to be at the right place at the right time to show up? And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled for him and were sore afraid. Sore afraid. Plenty afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that's come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by and saying, this is funny, what did he say? And they said, uh, they said the same thing. What shall be done to the man that killed this Philistine and taketh away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, there you go in knowing who you are. You can't do anything. You don't know what you have. You don't know what you can do until you know who you are. Do you all know that Saul didn't know who he was? He was first in line. Do you think the Lord would have helped him cut off the Goliath's head? Sure. He was first in line. He had a right to stand there. And so did general number one and through six and then captain this and that. They all could have had the power of the Lord. They all said no. Why? They were sore afraid, which means they, they were out of faith. They didn't know it was their turn to have the anointing to do the job of God. It's like, well, how are we going to do it? You know, David didn't show them how he was going to do it, and maybe they wouldn't have done it the same. But they didn't say yes, so they never knew how it was going to happen, how it could have happened. Are you all there? How about your life, my life? Well, Lord, I don't know how you'd do that. I don't even know why you'd do that. I'm not saying yes to not knowing how or why. And so we just let it slide until somebody in the shepherd rank finally said, I know who I am, and this man is against the armies of the living God. He took the position in divine order of the king. He, he passed every sergeant and captain and general, and he took the job of king because they had been passed down in divine order. He, had the, he was operating under the law of the right of first refusal. So sometimes we don't know why it came to us, but it could be there was a bunch of generals and captains and sergeants that said no. And it's not that you're the least, it's just that he has to go through who's first. He's got a job for you, no matter what they do. And so the people answered him, verse 27, and said, here's how it's going to happen if you kill him. Let's see where I am here. Verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Get that few sheep business. There's enough sheep there that a bear and a lion wanted them. But uh, anyway, uh, um, and I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mayest see the battle. Now, I want to tell you, when you step up and say yes to divine order, there's going to be a lot of people that are naturally speaking ahead of you that said no, but they don't want you taking it. They didn't want it, but they don't want somebody that's down here, down in the divine order saying, I can do it. Because it compares us. It, it brings us to shame that we should have and could have. And David said, verse 29, what have I now done? Now look at this. 
Is there not a cause? Now that, that's a hard verse right there. Is there not a cause? So I looked it up. It means answer. So he said, is there not an answer? So the answer here is that there's not an answer. Is there not an answer to have success? And so we see a very big principle here in David cutting to the chase, going through all the stuff and say, there's an answer. In God, there's always an answer. There's a, not only a way to, there's a way through, and there's a way up on top. And he said, all of this Jimmy John, Jackie stuff, it's going on, but there's an answer here somewhere. And obviously, you boys hadn't seen it. You hadn't seen the opportunity. You thought it was a death warrant or a death march or a death sentence. And you said, I'm not going out there. I'm not going out Six cubits in a span. They say that's pretty tall. And if you're that tall and you're not just a skinny little waggy, you might have some girth on you too. Maybe he was like me. He was a bowling ball. You know, he just, uh, he was mus muscled up and all that. He looked formidable and they were sore afraid. But he says, is there not a cause? Is there not an answer? And as soon as you say, as soon as I say, is there not an answer in this cloud, in this murk, in this fog? Where's the answer? Then the fog and the murk looses and you see the answer. None of the people, thousands of them that got the chance before David, none of them asked that question. Because if, if they had him, he would have showed them. You're not the general, you're not the captain, you're not the sergeant, you're just, you're just, in, you're a buck private, but when you ask if they're not an answer, I'll pick you. Well, that's basically what it got to David. Nobody in this myriad of people ever said, what's God's take on this? There's always an answer. And the way the answer comes is through opportunity. Opportunity. Say it with me opportunity. It doesn't matter what you have or doesn't have. It doesn't matter what's to be done or not to be done. You and I need an opportunity. We just need the door to open to the supernatural. We just need God to be in it. We just need Him to be commissioned saying, I am sent you, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Now once we have the, it'll be fine from heaven, we're fine. Just nobody wants to, you know, run across the stage with no clothes on. It's not fine. We want, we want to know that God's covering us. There's always an opportunity to engage the solution. There's always an opportunity. We say it around here, there's always a way to win. There's always a way through. There's always a way. Well, there's no way through this thing. Yes, there is. But you've got to say yes to it before you'll see it. If you have to see it first, then you'll never see it. Dr. Cole always says decision is the place of power. Once you decide, I don't know how and I don't know who or whatever, but I say yes, then all of a sudden the door opens, the window opens, and you see how and when and who. And it's marvelous. It's opportunity. This is interesting, but this is what the Lord spoke to my heart yesterday. Is divine order doesn't skip people just to get to the right outcome. 
In other words, there's a problem, there's a situation, there's a challenge, and he's got somebody better and called uh, above you, but they won't say yes. He won't let them have it just because they have the answer. He'll wait till someone says yes, and then he gives them the answer. So lots of people smarter than you and me, trained better than you and me, gifted more than you and me, if they don't say yes, it doesn't matter. He's going to wait on you and me. And you're going to have it and you're going to go. Verse 30. I've got to get going here. And he turned from him, verse 29, is there not an answer? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former matter. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent for him. Why did he get to go before Saul? Because there was nobody else. It wasn't like, well, we found a hundred guys over here that they say they'll go up. No, there was nobody. Somebody, sometimes you're the somebody because there's nobody. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, the giant. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, which is exactly why they all turned God down. Because they said, not only David, are you not able? We, tough guy, we're not able. And you're not tough guy, so we know you can't. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and shook and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him. Y'all see some smoting going on here? And there's some, I guess that's like when you smite, it's uh, he smote. And he slew him. That's another word for kilt. He killed him. This, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one as one of them. Now, this is why we tell testimonies in church. This is why, because when you hear something, nobody knows that it applies to you, but you'll say, just like Melissa did, so will I do. Just like Annette said that it worked for her. I never thought of it, but that's my situation. It'll work for me, too. And so David was saying, I got a track record here. Just like I did this and just like I did that, I'll do this over here. So testimonies are powerful. They are so powerful. And the Lord orchestrates our testimonies. That's why you need to be out there getting a testimony. You need to be out there like if God doesn't come through, it's not going to be good. That's the kind you get good testimonies from. Hallelujah. And so David, uh, verse 37, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, I want to tell you, when you get in faith, everything will support you. God will usher what you need when you get in faith. Having an optimistic attitude, having a positive outlook is not it. You got to get in faith. It's like Saul if you do something for me or with me, it doesn't matter. I'm going out there anyway. you got to have that. If none go with me, I'll go out there by myself. You won't have, let me just, let's just get real this morning. You're not going to have a very exciting life apart from this aspect. You're going to have to smite 
some peoples, some things, some challenges. You're going to have to slew them. You go, well, I don't want to. It's hard. Yep, that's why the testimony goes to those that say that's not hard. Let's see where I am. I'm, I'm all over the places where I am. Uh, uh, and Saul armed David, and, and then uh, verse 39, Dur David girded his sword, and uh, verse 40, he took his staff in his hand. Oh, verse 40, and he took his staff in his hand. Verse 39, David put them off of him, and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag when he had, even in his scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now I want to tell you all, the captains, the generals, the, the, the warriors and all them, never would have picked up a rock. The Lord would have done it different. So just because you see somebody else smite their situation one way. doesn't mean the Lord would do you the same way. Because they didn't even know what a rock was. They sure didn't have a sling hanging off their belt. But this is where David was. And wherever you are is where he'll be. Whatever you got in your life, that's what he'll use. And it'll be amazing. So we don't have to compare ourselves to others. We don't have to say, well, this is how it's got to be done because this is how it's always been done. It doesn't have anything to do with you. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. This guy's, his shield was so big. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ready and of fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog? And, uh, Philistine, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And he said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air. And to the beasts of the field. Then said David. So let's put our name in there and say, and then said Michael. Come on, your situation that you're in right now, your, your thing. Okay, you see how hard it is. You see how impossible it is. You see how, how many people have said it can't be done. And how few people can say, I've done that before. Might not be anybody. But then said Michael. Then said Garland. Then said Jonathan. Then, then, after he's through, the situation's fully revealed, then it's your turn. Uh, like uh, Kimberly said this morning, yeah, faith has a voice. And then said David unto the Philistine, Thou comest with me with a sword and with a spear, with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. Be sure and get that in on your challenge. Be sure and include that little small print right there. The God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied this day. Now go ahead and tell how it's going to turn out. Abraham said, I am the father of many nations. And he had no children. But he said, this is how it's going to turn out. Sarah means mother of many, princess. They're saying how it's going to turn out. So go ahead and say, I am the healed. I know how this is going to turn out. You got to say it, though. You got to say it with conviction. I'm healed. Might not get it. Uh, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. You know, that's getting kind of rough with the big boy. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. Let's see how far we're going to go here. Well, let's just keep going. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose. 
I guess he was sitting down. And came and drew nigh unto me, David, that David hastened and ran toward the army. Now, you can hear some sermons online about running towards your giant. We're not waiting for anything to come to us and say, this is what I've got. This is how I'm going to mash you. This is how it's going to turn out. Pay no attention to that. We run to our problem. We solve it before it gets big, before it gets a chance. And David put his hand in his bag, took fence a stone, and slang it. I just love that word. <laughs> and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, so God will even give you the tool to finish, the, to mop this thing up. It's like, where's that? I'll bring it when I need it. Therefore, David ran, stood upon the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Divine order will find you. If you're ready, it's like, pick me, pick me. You'll, you'll have your chance. It may be after the first 47 and you're number 48, say no. Or it may be a, number 43 said yes, and so it, the, the problem's solved. But you are ready. And it's not the last thing God's got. It's not the last giant out there. Your time will come. Just be ready. Don't be like those three football players and said, well, I'm not going to be number one. I'm not going to be celebrated. I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to spend my body and my energy and my time. They could have been heroes. If Alabama beat Georgia and they went, we got three guys that were on the third string and, and they came out there like rock stars or like, you know, and that's why we won the game. See, that testimony never happened. And I'm not blaming the three guys. I'm just quoting what the coach says. And it's just an example of how it works. I'm not, I'm not, he didn't name them and I'm sure not naming them. But the point is, the point is, be ready. I have a chapter in my little book called, Is You Ready? Ready. And these boys weren't ready, but David was. And he just was, the, he was the cheese delivery boy. He was the cracker guy. He, 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 he just was showing up. Well, isn't that what you and I are? We're not smiters of giants, but I could. And if one shows up, I will. There's demon-possessed people that look like giants. The demoniac of Gadarene, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of an eye-opener. But Jesus had no trouble with him, so, so neither will we. Amen? I'm gonna, i got to go, but this one scripture, I'm just going to quote it to you because it's one of my very favorite. But remember this in 1 Chronicles 11.6. Here's what it says. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first, say first, whoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zariah, went first up and was chief. I like that. He was ready. And all those boys that were in the trench with him, every one of them had to serve Joab. Did you know there's nobody in the Israeli army that's ever noted that Saul went to no good? He went, he had his, he went down because he didn't take his place. 
And nobody in the army of Israel is ever known except for David. And Joab, all those boys that were in the trench with him or whatever they were doing, they all started calling him, yes, sir. Chief, where would you like this and where would you like that? that and it happened just like that. David went out in a less than a day and everything changed. Yeah. Joab went out and just jumped up. I mean, I don't know how it was that everybody was thinking about it. We might talk about it another time, but, but Peter, he said, if it's you, Lord, bid me come. Because the Bible says, we'll look at it, but it says they didn't know if it was him. They said, it's a ghost. We don't know who this is. So they all cowered and got down in the boat. But when Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. And he said, come. They all of them, all 12 of them, the 11 in the boat, knew who it was. It wasn't like, oh, we were afraid. No, they knew it was Jesus. And they stayed in the boat. So I'm going to do it. Are you going to do it? There's lots of people that won't do it. But it doesn't matter. You will. We will. And it'll be done. And it'll be done in a moment. That's why we're, the word says in Galatians, stand fast in the liberty whereby Jesus Christ has made you free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So during the waiting time, it says in Galatians, be not weary in well-doing. The cheese boy, he became king. And Saul went down the hill. You gotta love it. Courage in the Lord is just so underrated. Well, I'm gonna do it. You're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We are doing it and we will do it. We will not faint in the time of well doing. And we are. We're well doing. We're we're training. We're keeping ourselves steady. We're getting rid of encumbrances. Hebrew calls them weights and sins. We're we're dealing with those. And we're, we're, we're getting stuff out of our head that says I can't and getting stuff in our head that says I am and therefore I will and I, and I have. We're moving that transaction for a day that's yet to be seen. When the Lord hits the sky, there's no loose ends to tie off. Well, when this revival or when this, when we decide, when it's not a revival that's coming, when we decide it's time, that's when revival will be here. When we decide, oh, God's going to bring a big, big revival. Why, why is he waiting? Why, why, why is the Lord waiting on revival? Why is he saying, go? No, it's already here. We got Curry Blake telling us how to heal the sick. It's not even like our pastor don't know nothing. Well, he doesn't have to really because Curry Blake knows and just go tune in. And it's all free and it's all available. And it's all, if you don't have it, it's because you just don't want it because it's there. And the calling of God is on us. And if we don't have it, we just don't believe it or we just don't care or we're just too busy, which is I don't believe it and I don't care. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, I say we're going to lodeo our rodeo. We're, <laughs> we're going to get on the biggest bull and we're going to ride him to the end. Amen. So I bless you in the name of Jesus. From this place, we will go forth and we will take a move of God wherever we go. And nothing will be too difficult for us. And we will smite whatever says no. And we will slew everything that says not, not now. In Jesus' name, we are empowered by the word of God and the, and the, and the call of God 
to be at the right place at the right time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, y'all said amen so we can go. Pray God. Praise